Look, if the Vikings can go to Lambeau, steal a win, get a little help, they're in this. All right, we're going to go over the scenarios just so you know what's going on here on the Locked On Vikings podcast. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, 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 everybody, to a Twitter Tuesday edition of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day. As always, I'm your host, your pal, in the candy copy dolphin math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. Show is on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. Like I said, today's Twitter Tuesday. That means I got your mailbag questions in front of me, and it's time to answer them as we still lick our wounds from the 30 to 23 loss the Vikings suffered at the hands of the LA Rams at home on Sunday. If you have a question for Twitter Tuesday, you can always message it to me at Lockdown Vikings or at Luke Braun NFL. There's a Google form in the show notes if you prefer. You can send an email to the Lockdown Vikings podcast at gmail.com. We're back up on YouTube, by the way. I was out of town, didn't have my camera, back in town, have my camera. So uh, YouTube is, is back up and running. So hello, YouTube. Welcome back. If you missed out on all the other shows, you want to go listen to them. You can still find them uh, on Spotify or iTunes or whatever you like to listen on. But let's get into the questions. The first one comes from James Gaxetter, who said, looking forward, don't we kind of need to start our HC and possibly GM search now? New rules allow teams that start uh, interviews now for coaches. We need to get both in to make decisions with free free agency and draft. We're losing time to Raiders in Miami now for coaches like Doug Peterson. When does the teardown start if it starts? So this is a big concern with a lot of people, right? And and I think, look, it's okay if you want to admit that you just want to fire Mike Zimmer now so he can see heads roll. Like you just want to see somebody be punished for all this. You want to see some accountability, some comeuppance, whatever. It's okay to admit that you just want to see that. But there isn't a lot of utility to that because here's the thing. Yes, a team like uh, Vegas or Jacksonville, um, I, th- I think that's what you meant, James, because Miami's in playoff position right now, but like something like Vegas or Jacksonville, they get to start interviewing coaches and uh, for candidates for their head coaching job right now, so they do get a little bit of a head start. Now, here's what I'll say. There's a chance that somebody gets hired like the day the season ends. Uh, they go get the job and the Vikings never got a chance at them, and if that's the case, they missed out on them and, and we wanted them and we missed out, then yeah, it's a mistake. But they are not going to fire the coach until they are mathematically eliminated. That's always been the case. I think I get that question just about every week and every week the answer is the same. When they're eliminated, they're not mathematically eliminated. So let's go over the playoff scenarios real quick. Basically, right now, the NFC wild card is currently held by the 49ers and Philadelphia Eagles. They're both eight and seven. And then the Saints and Vikings are seven and eight nipping at their heels. So basically, they need... You need one of those two teams to fall back down to earth. You can't have two teams a game ahead of everybody else. Um, at, that makes it easy, right? And then the Vikings need to win the tiebreaker. And whether or not they win the tiebreaker is really complicated. And it's honestly like not worth breaking down in all the detail. I don't have time to break it down in all the detail I need to. But suffice it to say, um, in a group tiebreaker, so more than a two-team pl- uh, two tiebreaker, in most of those situations, they're either first or second in the tiebreakers. So they do pretty well. If they are in a three-way tie with Philadelphia and New Orleans, New Orleans actually gets the tiebreaker. It goes all the way down to strength of victory, which is like the fifth tiebreaker. Um, If San Francisco gets involved, 
San Francisco getting involved is actually bad news for the Saints. The Saints really need San Francisco to lose. So we actually kind of want uh, like a one in one San Francisco tiebreaker. If it's a four team tiebreaker between San Francisco, Philly, New Orleans and the Vikings, the two teams would be Philly and the Vikings. Um, if it's just Philly, New Orleans and the Vikings, I think New Orleans gets the spot. And then that would be a scenario where uh, San Francisco gets the six seed. And then I think if it's Philly, San Francisco, and the Vikings, I believe the Vikings get the playoff spot there, but I can't be entirely sure. The nice thing about it, the Vikings don't have head-to-head against the 49ers, but in a three-way tiebreaker, that doesn't matter because uh, the 49ers don't have a head-to-head sweep against any of the combinations, so we don't actually have to worry about that as much. All of that is uh, to say, if the Vikings can win out B9-8, and and two other teams are nine and eight with them, they have a decent shot depending on how that all came down. Um, yeah, you're not going to give up on that. Sorry. I know it's only like a 10% chance. It's not a great chance to make the playoffs. And even if you do, you're a seven seed. You're kind of a, a long shot anyways. I know that's not a great chance, but it is one. And you don't give up on that kind of thing. Hayden asks, what do you think will happen with Kirk next year if there's a new regime? His contract is guaranteed, but you know he's not the new but but he's not the new regime's guy. Do you play him because he makes you competitive or try to train him for anything, knowing he's walking after next year and teams know that know that as well? So my deal with Kirk, I mean, look, my deal with every player is always like everybody has a price, right? So trading Kirk away is always gonna be on the table. Somebody could godfather offer you, right? Um, but basically the deal has always been extend him or trade him. And if you bring in somebody um, that, that likes Kirk Cousins. If you bring in somebody because they want to work with Kirk Cousins, you, you extend Kirk Cousins to get his $45 million cap hit down, and then you're there for three more years of Kirk Cousins. I'm not a big fan of that, you might guess. <laughs> you, may, you might have guessed. But uh, Or you bring in somebody else who wants to bring in their own guy. You trade Kirk away. There's a lot of teams that are going to be interested in him. George Payton loves Kirk Cousins. We know this. Denver would be interested. I think Pittsburgh is a decent suitor. I think the Giants are a decent suitor. Um, I think Seattle might be a diff- decent suitor if they lose out on Russell Wilson and they trade Wilson away. There's ways to go with this, but honestly, it depends on who that coach is. So I can't really answer that until I know. Zach McDermott, McDermott said, you've said in the past you wouldn't care if the next coach is offensive or defensive focus because there isn't an advantage to one. And I'm wondering why. It's harder to keep your offensive coordinator with a defensive coach. And I've always been under the impression that offense relied on scheme more than defense. Explain to me why I'm wrong on the second point, because I probably am. Um, so I, I don't know necessarily if you're wrong about, uh, scheme or whatever, but I think this is a tertiary thing. This is what I'll say. The, the reason that I would say that in spite of what you've told me here is because that is a side thing. Yeah. It's hard to keep your, uh, the, the opposite coordinator, but you're either losing defensive coordinators or losing offensive coordinators and offensive coordinators get head coach jobs more often. So losing an offensive coordinator all the time, you're going to, it's going to like come up more. Um, sure. But that's like number thing, number nine on my list of what I want in a head coach. So if it comes down to it and you have two coaches that are, they're both leaders and they both have, you know, they both know how to win and you know that, and they both uh, come in with plans that you like, like if all of those things are the same, sure. Let it come down to tiebreaker number nine, but just like playoff is not going to come down to points scored against, uh, this, it's not going to come down to that tiebreaker. I'm going to be able to make it. If, if you're any bit of decision maker, you can make a decision before it comes down to that kind of tiebreaker. Like I'll lose offensive coordinators. If it means I got a head coach with a good plan that can do a good rebuild. You know what I mean? 
George asks, when Cousins is playing for the Giants next year, who's under center for the purple? Daniel Jones, Kellen Mond, Teddy Bridgewater, of these three, which would you prefer to hold the reins until the Vikings can get a competent and good quarterback? Um, okay, so of those three, I can't stand Daniel Jones. I think he's awful. And Kellen Mond, I don't think he's anywhere near. Uh, I, I I have to see a lot more from Kellen Mond before I believe in him at all. So I guess by default, Teddy Bridgewater, I know he didn't do that much impressive stuff in Denver or whatever, but compared to those two options, I think Bridgewater's head and, head and shoulders above um, a lot of people ask, like, what are some decent bridge quarterbacks? Somebody brought up to Rod Taylor. I think that's an interesting idea. I don't know. Pick your favorite Ryan Fitzpatrick type um, and that can come in and like bridge the Vikings over till they get their quarterback. And for the record, I'm a fan of that. If you're going to get rid of Kirk Cousins, I don't want them to just draft whoever happens to fall for, to them in the 2022 draft. If they don't have a guy that they're like in love with, pick your spot, you know, don't draft a guy that that is just there. That's kind of how you got into the Kirk Cousins mess in the first place is because you took a guy because he was available, not because he was necessarily the guy you sought out. I want them to seek somebody out. And if that means having a bridge in the meantime, just to keep you competitive, a Tarad Taylor who did that in Buffalo, then sure. Uh, I have a lot more questions. I want to get to the rookie snaps thing, some other stuff. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll get to all of that in just a second. Thank you so much for making Lockdown Vikings your first listen of the day every single day. Make sure you check out the Ultimate College Football Playoff Preview 2021. we got local experts, betting advice, draft analysis. It's the most comprehensive college football playoff preview, and it's live now. Just search Ultimate College Playoff Preview wherever you find your podcast. It is a separate feed, so you can go find it. Really excited for all of that stuff. So. Let's continue with this mailbag. The next one comes from Skull Actuary, who says, when we are eliminated from contention next week, (laughs) do you think the plan is to run as many young guys as we can against the Bears? So assuming we, who, the Vikings could never beat the Packers. That's never happened. But if that doesn't happen, uh, I would imagine, yeah, if if guys are ready to play, um, you can against the Bears. I, I get a lot of questions like this about like, why is it this guy in? Why is it that guy? in? there's one coming up about Wyatt Davis that I think this applies to as well. If a guy isn't ready to play, that might not be a valuable learning experience for them. There's like ready to learn, but not ready to play. Put that guy in if it's a meaningless game. Right. But if you're not even ready to get reps, you're just going to develop bad habits. Like, let me put it this way. If I take you assuming you aren't a neurosurgeon and I say, you got to go do neurosurgery, do it tomorrow. And if you, if you mess it up, if you fail, it's a learning experience. And then you mess it up, right? You go into neurosurgery, you have no idea what you're doing and it's terrible. And then you come out and you say, well, what'd you learn from that? Are you going to say you like, oh, well, yes, I learned exactly what you do with the hippocampus here. No, you're going to be like, that was awful. All I know is how to panic now. And I, we, we see this happen, I think, a little bit with Justin Fields this year. I, I think he's picked up bad habits that he did not have at the beginning of the year because they played him before he was ready. And so you ruin quarterbacks. I think we did that to Christian Ponder, honestly. We played him before he was ready because the Donovan McNabb thing was going so bad in 2011. And then he picked up bad habits and he never shook them. Um, it's a good way to ruin players. So now look, in a meaningless game, the pressure's off a little bit. You maybe don't have as much panic. Sure, get some experience reps on guys. Um, but you also have a lot of players in there that are fighting for incentives in their contract, potentially fighting for new contracts if they're a one-year kind of guy, and you don't want to do wrong by those players. That kind of word spreads. 
Steezo says, what 2020 D line would you keep going into the off season? And who do you expect to be rosterable come September 2022? So let me just like quick fire these. I've got the roster page in front of me. Tayshawn Bauer, meh. Patrick Jones already under contract. Did you want him under contract? James Lynch under contract. Pierce under contract. Sheldon Richardson. I'd bring him back for sure if the price is right. That'd be a difficult negotiation. So we'll see. Um, Tomlinson, Watts all under contract. So those guys are all there. Um, in terms of, of those guys, do any foresee any of them not making the team? Not really. Those guys are all pretty entrenched. And then I guess who's on the practice squad here? You got Jalen Twyman, of course. He'll kind of mess things up. T.Y. McGill, no, don't really care. T.J. Smith, don't really care. Eddie Yarborough, don't really care. Uh, and then Kenny Willekes, yeah, bring him back in and we'll see if he makes the team. I'd put him on like a roster bubble type of, of deal. You also have Jordan Scott and Daniil Hunter on IR. Um, Jordan Scott. Yeah, I don't really care. Oh, Janarius Robinson, of course. Yeah, I'm kind of apathetic to a bunch of those guys. And then, of course, Daniel Hunter, I, I would imagine, would be on the roster. They'll probably do the restructure of the roster bonus thing. We'll explain more about that uh, in once we're like deeper into the offseason. 23MNST asks the question I alluded to earlier. What is Wyatt Davis's status? Um, bad, I think. I think he's bad. He So Oli Udo went on covid on Monday, um, he's on the COVID IR list. So now we're looking at either Wyatt Davis or Dakota Dozier starting. Brace yourself for it being Dakota Dozier. And yeah, that implies about Wyatt Davis what you think it does. Um, he's just, he, he ain't ready to play, man. He doesn't know who to block. He didn't know who to, well, I, I'm assuming. But he didn't know who to block in preseason. And, and people forget that. Like, he did not know where to go or who to block, and it ruined a crap ton of plays in preseason. You cannot put that in when your playoff life is on the line and you're in a win or be eliminated scenario. You can't bring in a guy that doesn't know who to block. Uh, Dakota Dozier will whiff a lot of blocks. Too many. Way too far too many. That's why he's the third string guy. But at least he knows where to point himself. And unless Wyatt Davis has improved at that, and I don't have any reason to believe one way or another other than what the team does, um, then it makes sense to not put him in. A lot of people have complained about Wyatt Davis not playing. And that's why. And I get it because he was supposed to be a little bit more ready coming out of the draft. That turned out to not be true. And that happens all the time. I even in my take when I was like, he should be totally pro ready unless rookie things. We are here. It's rookie things. But to believe that Wyatt Davis should be playing, you have to believe that the problems he showed in preseason have been solved. We have absolutely no indication of that. And that the Vikings are ignoring that to willfully start like Dakota Dozier, which we also have no evidence that that's happening at all. So you have to jump to a lot of conclusions and every single time without fail, every time we get into this stupid rookie snaps thing, the guy ends up playing because of an injury or whatever and is absolute total ass. We did this with Drew Samia. We did this with Jeff Gladney last year when he didn't play in, in week one. We did this with so many players. When guys aren't ready, they just aren't ready. And if you put them in before they're ready, they're bad. And sometimes guys might just suck. Might just be an indication that he sucks and we whiffed on this one. Obviously, you can't plant that flag yet, but it might be the case. So I don't know. Brace yourself. Uh, Jazz fan says, what should our realistic expectations be coming into the start of the season? Or is it too soon to tell? It's too soon to tell, my guy. I have absolutely no idea who is going to even be in charge of the front office or the team or who is going to be on the team. I have no idea. It's going to be a wild, tumultuous offseason with lots of new additions, lots of turnover. Um, So I I don't know. I I don't know what group of people it's going to be.
But whenever that comes, you'll be able to bet it at betonline.ag. They have over-unders for everything preseason and in the offseason and stuff. Um, I don't think you can bet on next year quite yet, but you'll be able to. For now, you can bet on college football bowl season. You can bet on all pro football things, uh, basketball, hockey, tennis, golf, MMA, even your favorite Vegas casino games, everything under the sun. Just head on over to betonline.ag. I love their live betting and their player props builder. They just redesigned those, so those are great. Um, you can enter promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, to get a 50% welcome bonus. That's promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, for a 50% welcome bonus. Whatever your first deposit is, they will half match it. So they'll match 50% of it, plop it right in your account as free play money. That is at betonline.ag, where the game starts. Moving on with this mailbag, we have one from Mandrew who says... What type of draft pick compensation could the Vikings recoup or have to give up as the case may be to trade away each of the f- of the following this offseason? So all rapid fire, he gave me a few. First one is Kirk Cousins. I think they could probably somebody proposed a first and a third swap. So the Vikings would give up Kirk and a third and get a first in return. That seems fairly fair to me. Um, fairly fair. That's yeah, that, that seems OK to me. It's hard for me to really know. But getting rid of thirty five million dollars is like a pretty big bonus. So that's going to deflate draft pick value a lot. I don't think you'd have to Osweiler it, though. Teams are going to like him. Um, Harry, ah, gosh, you'd probably, I don't know. He's pretty well respected throughout the league. I bet you could get a, like a third for him. He's on a huge contract, too. You're also taking on a crap ton of dead cap, so I don't know how trade, tradable he is. Um, Daniil, I think you could get a first and then some. And then the last one, Mandrew said, was Reef and Treadwell, all the Kings gold and all the Kings silver. <laughs> Kurt with two sets. That's, a, that's a joke, about a year old joke now because neither of those players are there. That's for the real ones. Uh, Kurt with two C's says, why are you so mean to Kirk? He shows up every day and he does his best to try to help his friends. He puts up real good numbers. It seems like a real nice guy. Why can't you just be nice and cheer him on? I cheer him on every week, man. So here's the deal. I... I, I, I've been pretty harsh on, on Kirk Cousins after this Rams game. I, a lot of people, I, like, I, I don't think I'd put him at the top of the list to blame. I would put probably Clint Kubiak, the coaching in general, up there. Um, but I do put a fair amount of blame on Kirk Cousins because there's problems that I notice. I want to point them out. I want to explain them to you. Um, but I feel like we've gotten so polarized with Kirk Cousins. So here's the deal with, with, with all of this. If you find yourself never acknowledging when Kirk Cousins makes a mistake and when Kirk Cousins make a mistake, if you aren't adding that to your evaluation of Kirk Cousins, then you're doing yourself a disservice. And similarly, if you are just pointing out every time Kirk Cousins does something bad, but when he throws an awesome touchdown, you're not adding that to your evaluation. You're doing yourself the same disservice. Um, That's the way I try to approach Kirk Cousins. I, I take a play. I say, was this good? Was this bad? Was this whatever? I don't care. Um, a lot of plays end up in that third category. But when I say, was this good? Was this bad? I add it in. Now, I'm not going to like itemize it or tally it all up, but I usually do a, like a full on reevaluation at the end of every year to just ch- totally change my priors on a given player. So we'll do that soon. Um, but for me with with Kirk Cousins, I mean to him. Because I don't think he's played very well. Especially in the last month. I'm sorry. I know the stats are great. And there's EPA or whatever. I I think he's just left a lot of meat on the bone all year. And I think it's cost the Vikings games. That's why I'm mean to him. Jordan Knowles asks, when can I be free? Uh, When God allows you the sweet release of death. Josh Pelto asks, what happened with the punt unit? (laughs) What feels like very... Uh, has someone in his face on every punt over the last few weeks and prevents him from getting a full extension? Has something changed that I'm too stupid to notice or realize? Um, so I, I don't know. 
I believe Miles Dorn being activated has been a problem. Um, I, I would have to go look at the actual punt blocks. The real the Bears game was the real problem, though. I don't think they had too many problems protecting punts against the Rams. Obviously, they had the giant coverage breakdown. That was Dan Chisena, got a little bit too deep, got himself blocked. The, nobody else could get outside to, to replace him. Um, and so you kind of had three players all sort of responsible for that jump up the sideline. Um, but in terms of the punt blocking, I think it's just the bears game. And in that game, it was Damian Williams every single time he, he, I think he just had something on miles Dorn. I think Damian Williams just beat up miles Dorn a bunch and that sucks, but Hey, he's a safety. He's not exactly a blocker all the time. And that's the weird quirks you get with, with a punt blocking unit. Uh, easy cheese wizard asks, how do you think an entire staff or player rebuild will affect Mon's development going forward? Ah, uh, it won't help. That's for sure. Uh, Kellen Mond definitely needs to learn things about mechanics and stuff. Maybe getting him in a scheme. I don't think he's a great fit for what, uh, Clint Kubiak's doing, which is all like timing and quick game and all this. I don't, Mond is, I think a little too slow of a reader right now to excel in the timing quick game stuff that Clint Kubiak's doing. And by the way, Clint Kubiak shouldn't be doing that. So maybe another scheme comes in and it's like an air raid or it's closer to what he did at AM and he's more comfortable, maybe. But learning a new offense is like never going to be easy, especially for a guy who's already, it sounds like, pretty behind. Uh, Vikings fan 69 says, how many firsts does Buffalo give to get our, our other superstar wide receiver? Stop stereotyping wide receivers, please. I'm begging you. Florio wrote an article and then I guess there was a column, uh, Jim Suhan did a column or something like that, about how Justin Jefferson is going to beg to be out. Justin Jefferson is on pace right now. I think he needs 15 more targets over the last two games to be the most targeted player, wide receiver ever in his first two years, ever. Nobody has ever been targeted more than Justin Jefferson. So we, I, I know we all think that every wide receiver has the exact same personality, but Justin Jefferson is not Stefan Diggs. He's like the most happy-go-lucky dude ever. Even Mike Zimmer said, oh, yeah, he, like, criticized the play calling. Yeah, he was just frustrated at the end of a game. He's a great teammate. Like, it's fine. We, we got to stop making gigantic dramas after out of every postgame quote after a loss. And we should want players to be frustrated. He was frustrated after a loss. So were we. So was I. Did you hear yesterday's show? He should be. What, do you want him to be complacent like Kirk Cousins? Come on. I would I would take criticizing things over Kirk Cousins defending checking down on third and six every single time I get I get super frustrated with this because it's absolutely just wide receiver stereotyping we have absolutely no evidence that Justin Jefferson is at all dissatisfied with Minnesota has any problem with Minnesota he's frustrated about losing every player is but nothing outside of the norm at all except for the fact that he's a wide receiver and for some people a wide receiver of a certain hue if you prefer and that's literally the only thing while wide receivers are not made the same, stop stereotyping them. Uh, Carson avows, disavows Kirktober says, if you had to boil down this season's failures to a single thing, like which you could pin the most losses to individually among a sea of problems, what would you say? Is it promoting Clint instead of looking for an outside experienced OC? I, that's a good one. For me, I think I'm going to be really nebulous with this because if my goal is to encompass as many of the problems as I can in like one thing, um, then I'm going to go with... A, a lack of leadership. I think the Vikings sorely missed the leadership of a Stefan Diggs or an Everson Griffin or what have you. Um, they've not had access to Dalvin Cook sometimes who, who plays that role a little bit. I think Justin Jefferson will when he's a little older. He's, I think, still a little bit young and goofy 
And when he gets older and he becomes more, you know, his, his personality has more time to infect the locker room. I think he'll do that, but he isn't right now. And I think Kirk Cousins issues that responsibility of a quarterback pretty directly. Um, and it's not like you're getting that from, you know, coaching staff. It's like locker room leadership. Um, that leads, I think, to being extremely vulnerable to the emotional ebbs and flows of the game. So that leads to the collapses. That leads to the two-minute things, I think. Um, if you wanted a more concrete, tangible thing, it's two-minute defense where they've given up all these points. And if if they didn't give up, and if you took away the last two minutes of games, so the Vikings can't score, the other team can't score, the Vikings would be like the second-best team in the league. So you could call it two-minute defense. But I think encompassed in that and a larger, broader thing is veteran leadership and emotional fortitude the emotional fortitude that comes with it um last one of this mailbag comes from kyle umfett who says what do we do about this defense that has no identity we get worked in the run game can't generate a pass rush or cover in crucial passion passing situations and there doesn't seem to be a clear answer it's pretty rough man that's true um the defense it it's lost its identity because zimmer didn't call blitzes against the rams their identity is scary pressures and they don't have any scary pass rushers. And then they've stopped calling scary pressures to help with pass rushers. They do have, I think that's a massive coaching failure. Um, and I think that, you know, throw it on the pile of things that Mike Zimmer's getting fired for here. But that is, I, I think they like scare the quarterback needs to be their identity. They don't have that identity. So what do we do about it? Dial up more pressures, scare the quarterback. If he gets you on a blitz, he gets you on a blitz, but go get him. Um, go hit him, go rattle him. And the Vikings just don't, they don't strike fear into anybody. And that's what we, we, we need to do about it. Um, tomorrow we'll go over a little bit of Rams tape. We'll go over kind of whatever else is going on. Um, of course, you know, there's always news. There's always something with this team. So I'm sure we'll get to something. Um, so I look forward to that. Maybe we can talk a little bit of ball and, uh, maybe, you know, more calmly reflect, I guess, on some of the things that happened in the Rams game and actually have a take instead of just the, the, the vent sesh that the last couple episodes have been. So looking forward to that. In the meantime, check out the Locked On Bets podcast. Your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling will help you get your rambles straight. I'll see y'all tomorrow. And as always, skull.